I V M. You are listening to the Signal Daily, brought to you by Front Page Studios. Remember the time before online shopping when Archie's Gallery was the go-to place for gifting, be it for birthday gifts or greeting cards. This was the place that had it all. Even now, when I walk into an Archie's Gallery store, there's a gush of emotions and memories. Good old days, as they say it. But you must be wondering why I am reminiscing about Archie's, right? Well, there's some news. In a recent development, the Archie's brand is reportedly looking to enter the online e-commerce market. A rather crowded segment at the moment. According to the Business Standard, Archie's is shifting its focus online with the help of its e-commerce website, archiesonline.com. The website will reportedly sell items like flowers, cakes, and personalized gifts. But this is not the first time Archie's has shifted to an online e-commerce. Just last year, Archie's had launched an exclusive website for cosmetics and personal care items. The website, which is currently undergoing some changes, Features both domestic and foreign brands, including She, Police, and Donna Chang. But back in the day, Archie's had started out as a retail outlet of songbooks and posters. The brand, however, decided to diversify, and it was only in 1981 when they began selling greeting cards. It opened its first store in Delhi seven years later, and by the end of the 1990s, there were over 400 of them. Additionally, in the 90s, Archie's went public, listing on both the Bombay Stock Exchange and the National Stock Exchange. Besides that, the company was the first among its Indian competitors to successfully capture Disney's Renaissance era in a franchise model. You can say that the brand truly peaked in the 90s and 2000s. But slowly, as everything started to get digitized, you know, e-cards and all, and of course, the pandemic. All of this had an effect on the sentimental card brand. The Business Standard report reveals the brand's net sales value decreased to 55.29 crores in FY21 from 139.32 crore rupees the year before. But all's not doom and gloom. The brand's founder Anil Munchandani seems confident in the survivability of the value of greeting cards and stationery, which have also been the strongest contributors to the company's sales. For instance, Gifts made up 48.66% of the company's total earnings, followed by paper bags that accounted for 34%, and greeting cards contributed to 11.56% in fiscal year 21 and 22. While Archie's as a brand did not face stiff competition when it first entered the online gifting market, with other companies like Ferns and Petals and Oi Happy dominating the race, the company may find it difficult to grow in this segment. In addition, The concept of gifting has shifted dramatically in recent years. Many people now shop for gifts on Amazon, Flipkart, and other e-commerce sites. But like Ambani is trying with Campacola, it's obvious that Mulchandani wants to capitalize on the nostalgia wave too. Now, whether or not Archie's will actually be successful with this approach, that only time will tell. For the next few minutes, you are going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy, and anything that leaves you with a food for thought. Hello, I'm Farheen Khan, and this is the deep dive for September sixth, twenty twenty-two. The Bengaluru horror show had struck again. Yes, we're talking about the city's flooding problem. 
Heavy overnight rainfalls have turned Bangalore's roads into rivers, leading to intense waterlogging, traffic jams and power cuts in India's IT hub, suspending the daily functioning of the city. And this is the second time in a week that this is happening. Just a quick search on any social media platform will give you a glimpse into how terrible the situation is currently. There are videos from outside the Kempe Gowda airport for instance where people are seen standing with their luggage in ankle deep water. Several other videos show vehicles trying to wade through submerged roads. According to Hindustan Times, over 30 apartment complexes have been inundated with water. Inflatable boats had to be deployed in certain areas for rescue work. And like I said, all this has really disrupted the normal functioning of the city. Schools and colleges have been suspended for now. There are advisories asking people to stay at home. Reuters reported that several firms such as Goldman Sachs and Swiggy have asked their employees to work from home. Expectedly, citizens are miffed. Only last week when the city had faced a similar disruption, the Outer Ring Road Companies Associations or the ORRCA that represents all major IT and banking companies on the Outer Ring Road stretch had complained to Karnataka Chief Minister Basavaraj Bommai in a letter about how poor infrastructure on this corridor is bringing down the efficiency and productivity of the companies and putting employee safety and well-being at risk. In the letter, they estimated a collective loss of 225 crore rupees due to the flooding of the Outer Ring Road. And now, while some netizens are sharing memes on the plight of the Bengaluru citizens, others are complaining about bad governance. Now look, we know about the obvious reasons behind such kind of havoc. The rain pattern is getting more and more unfamiliar thanks to climate change. With a record rainfall of 366 mm, this last August was Bengaluru's wettest August in 5 years. If we look to our neighbor in the northwest, Pakistan is also dealing with one of the worst floods in their history. and all this is a wake up call that we need to pay attention to the environment but what exacerbates the effect of climate change and yet nearly doesn't get enough attention is unsustainable urban planning this in fact has a big role to play in the civic mess that bangalore is currently facing so we invited a guest for this segment to tell us about the problems of bangalore's mindless urbanization mr naresh narasimhan is a bangalore based architect and urban designer from disappearing wetlands, broken sewage systems and expired city master plans, he talks about all the factors that have set the stage for repeated episodes of flooding and waterlogging in Bangalore. See Bangalore is situated geographically on top of a ridge, right? And technically speaking, the city slopes away in uh, three directions from almost a single point, which is actually what is called high grounds, which is roughly opposite the highest point of the city is the point in front of the old uh, in front of the old high grounds police station opposite the entrance of the old golf club the city slopes away to the west and to the southeast and also there is another uh, set of slopes towards the northeast coming down again to the southeast really speaking there's no reason why the city should flood at all if the drainage if the stormwater drainage systems are working properly however over the years because bangalore is also the largest city in the world not situated next to a perennial water source our ancestors have created uh, have dammed shallow areas their water shallower areas in the 
the dam water flow and created what we now call lakes. None of them are really natural lakes. All of them are what are called water tanks. Over the years, because of relentless real estate pressure, and this was a these these tanks were the source of Bangalore's water over the years. And when it rained, when you had these uh, excessive rainfall, they also acted as the sponges to hold the water. And one lake, one tank overflowed into the other tank through a series of interconnected rajakaluves, which are uh, the, the the word for canals, which are like the and they also had wetlands in between. Over the years, because of relentless real estate pressure, these and also what we, I mean, because of the uh, piped water supply, now that we are drawing from the Kaveri uh, more than 100 kilometers away, these lakes have fallen into disuse and these Rajakalways also have been neglected and these wetlands have been slowly filled in. These tanks and wetland areas have been filled in with concrete construction. So what happens is when you have in a normal situation when there is no rain, we don't see it because these colorways are actually carrying sewage. Most illegal, the sewage network of the city is completely broken, except in the central areas, correct, or non-existent to a large extent. So what happens is that when you have these extreme rainfall events, when the rainwater has no place to go because the Raja colorways are full of sewage, and it, it, it goes into the Raja Kalway because those are, the, by nature, those are the lowest points, those are the lowest areas in of the city, mixes with the sewage and overflows and comes out, right, Come and flows out. In many of the cases, for some reason, uh, the Raja Kalways have been, uh, there are roads placed on top of them and the small pipes are placed under the road, which almost like less than 20% of the original carrying capacity of the uh, uh, Rajakal. So when there is an extreme event, the water just has no place to go and flows over the road and floods the entire. Bangalore has been suffering from a lack of uh, urban planning, particularly from a sustainability and a resilience perspective for quite some time now. Our current master plan whatever is available, expired in 2015. And successive governments have been wrangling and uh, it has become more a real estate, uh, what I call a coloring book for real estate. As you have heard Mr. Narasimhan explain, the problem is that the city's urban planning is short-sighted. It's driven by real estate demands instead of sustainability. And that's not just a Bangalore problem. It's a pan-Indian issue. But now that the damage is done, how do we go about undoing them? Mr. Narasimhan believes that this will take a lot of political willpower. Yeah, it requires hard political will and a decision-making uh, system in which we find, see right now what happens is that, you know, when a master plan is called for, the government gives it to somebody who tenders the lowest amount, right? And they give it to the lowest tenderer just like every other government contract. Unfortunately, you cannot do this because the lowest tenderer uh, usually lacks the capability to understand a complex hydrogeologic model of the city. So if you approach the master plan from a climate sustainability and a resilience perspective, rather than a real estate perspective, which is what has been going on till now, 
in the real estate and land use perspective alone is not enough. It is one of the factors, but we have to approach this from a climate change and a resilience perspective. The problem is not uh, unfixable, but it requires like a political change of heart right from the top-down uh, level. And we also need to bring in, see, Bangalore has the world, probably the world's best engineering consultants employing more than 40-50,000 people from the city of Bangalore, all designing the rest of the planet. Right? They're, they're probably one of the, the two of the world's top uh, infrastructure consultancies operate from Bangalore and international companies employing this, this kind of people. And uh, we are unable to tap into their expertise because of these archaic government procedures which do not allow excellence and rather promote mediocrity. Now, CM Bamai has blamed the neglect of previous governments for this waterlogging, while the opposition parties are hitting back at his government for deteriorating infrastructure. But where does the buck stop? The Signal Daily is produced in association with IVM. This episode was written, researched and produced by Manaswini and Shorburi and edited by Prasenjit Das. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are thesignal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.